and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in the ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 15, which is titled Baby Shower. The episode aired on February 15th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Oh good, I get to start with a sports one. Bill Belichick is fired by the Cleveland Browns after five seasons, finishing with a 36-44 record and one playoff appearance. And he would never be heard from again. His career was never the same. (laughs) Only won six Super Bowls. No big deal. It's fine. IBM's Deep Blue Supercomputer defeats world chess champion Gary Kasparov, marking the first time ever that a computer has beaten a human at chess. It begins. Skynet. Yep. Broken Arrow debuts at the box office and takes the number one spot. And, oh boy, I would like to get off Miss Carrie's Wild Ride. (laughs) One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men is still the number one song. Gang, do you remember back in season one when I thought the previous Boys to Men reign was a long time? Because holy shit. Yeah, I feel like it has to be, this one has to be surpassed that at this point. Yeah, but see, now this one's combined with powerful lady vocals. This is true. Mariah Carey Mm. deserves it, fine. Yeah, she's a beautiful singer. All right, this week we've got 36.4 million viewers tuning in. Uh, This week's episode is directed by Barnett Kelman, who had also uh, directed quite a few episodes of Murphy Brown, as well as Mad About You. Uh, But this was his only ER episode that he directed. Uh, And then this week's episode was written by the tandem of Belinda Casas-Wells. I'm not sure. I did try to look, um, but I was unable to determine whether or not she's any relation to John Wells, showrunner. But Belinda Casas-Wells, this was really her one and only kind of major mainstream writing credit. Um, She had a few other minor things on her IMDb, but nothing that seems like it got a really wide release. So I would love to know the backstory of how she came to write this episode. And then it was also written by Carol Flint, who had previously written uh, from this season, uh, What Life and A Miracle Happens Here. So we open the episode in the dark. Uh, the time on the clock says 3.44 a.m. We have Benton laying in bed, which is, the, the clock specifically is also a Bose alarm clock. So Benton <laughs> is also a big spender, apparently. Because these were hot shit back in the 90s. I was impressed that my grandma had one whenever I visited her in Florida. I, my say, dad I, think had they, one. I think they still are kind of hot shit to, to a certain degree. Yeah, my dad had the CD player and it was very nice. Yeah, I think the general opinion now is that they're overpriced compared to brands like Sennheiser and stuff like that, like that generally like offer the same audio quality for less money. Yeah. I don't know. But at the time. I wear, I'm wear. i wearing a pair of pink uh, Panasonic earbuds that I got for $10 off Amazon, so I don't know anything about audio quality. I don't remember where these came from. My my friend who went to school for audio would be ashamed. But anyway, his alarm goes off at 3.45 and cut to him working out on the stationary bike and going over surgical jargon as he works out. And he goes out to his car and there's a real rookie move here by Benton. If you live in a colder climate, I don't know if this isn't common knowledge, but I always was taught, I was taught and I always did this to turn the car on first, get the heaters going in the car while you get out and scrape the car or get the snow off the car because not only does not only will you have a warm car when you get when you are done it helps mm-hmm. the ice get off the car faster because you're warming the inside of the windshields he, he also is doing like the working man's ice scrape where he just scrapes out the little like two by two square in front of his eyeballs and yeah. nowhere else <laughs> there's no there's no way he can see that like you like if you would have started driving uh, driving after that i would have been i would have and no no yell no stop clearly people who live in la made this episode jesus (laughs) (laughs) 
But if you, if you have enough time to work out in the morning and do your little stationary bike medical review, you have time to scrape your windows properly, Benton. Exactly. Uh, but his car won't start. So, womp womp. And I noticed something here that just redated where where we are in the timeline for this episode because he has to manually lock his car. And it's been so long since I've been around a car where you just don't have, like, the power locks. Okay, to be fair, two cars ago... A car that Lauren has ridden in many, many times. My old Mitsubishi Galant had manual locks. I, so. I blocked it out because having to wait for you to let me in the car every time was really annoying. Just having to... <laughs> and she would always do it like one second too fast. <laughs> call me out, why don't you? I, I am. This is what this podcast is for. Great. You have your pedantic shit. I have my public call-outs, so... Yeah, fair. But yeah, so it just... It, it dated it for me because let me rephrase that. It's been so long since my family's car... Has been one without power locks. Laddie frickin' da. Yes. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> so then Benton finally gets into the office and he goes into kind of like the locker room and he sees Hicks in there. And he starts talking to her about, you know, his canceled surgery and how he's been really slowed down on the rotations for scheduling. And he's really worried that it's um, because of him getting kicked off the study. But he gets paged on the ER because obviously that's what that's obviously that seems like what he's doing lately is covering ER, covering ER consults and such like that. So and he's off to the races. And that brings us right into our first trauma of the episode. We have a 30 year old male who threw himself onto the L tracks in front of an oncoming train. We should mention it's it's Valentine's Day. It's on or around Valentine's Day. It's never specified if it's Valentine's Day itself, but it's there's decorations everywhere. It's clearly close to it he's got multiple exposed fractures just kind of generally a mess this guy's in a real bad way benton comes in to kind of run the trauma and green and carol are already sort of in the mix with this then you get a couple of nice kind of cross glances from the two of them as he's running the trauma and we noticed uh, the neurosurgeon in the background like who's like talking about making burr holes to relieve the pressure on this kid's brain uh i immediately recognized him he plays uh jules pierre mao on the expanse like a major character for through the first like two and into the third season a little bit of uh of the expanse and i think he's also he was also in birds of prey recently but a gentleman named francois chow so for you oh, expanse hey, fans out there yeah, yeah that was my oh hey it's that guy for this episode <laughs> lizzie caught one and i have to notice whose films are those not this guy's not this guy's uh and then mark remarks as they wheel the guy out of the room uh peter we have some other sick people down here if you want them to and that leads us right into the intro which we are in with some bangs the twinkles have been sparse again this season we've got some but and it's increasing from season one but we're still on the bang train and we are on the bang train <laughs> the bang really, train. <laughs> really I, as, as it was coming out of my mouth i knew it was a bad choice but i committed um this is a family-friendly show, Lauren. No, it's not. Go I... fuck yourself. Fair. <laughs> um, and then we go over to Susan is asleep on her couch. She wakes up to a crying little Susie. And she gets up, goes into little Susie's crib, and just goes, Did you forget? I'm not on until 11. We can sleep in this morning. <laughs> she picks her up, and she goes, Oh, my God, you're soaking wet. And then as, as she picks up little Susie, the doorbell goes off, or the buzzer for the intercom downstairs, and social services is here to do their home visit for for Susan adopting little Susie. Uh, Susan looks around and her apartment is a mess, as it would be expected with her being a full-time doctor and single mother. So she's like, can we reschedule? And they're like, well, if you do, it's not going to be for another four weeks. 
She was like, nope, you can come up. It's fine. Just take your time coming up the stairs. Uh, and then from there, we go over to uh, our first audio of the episode. Uh, Doug comes into work and just uh, some general fun banter about some uh, Bulls tickets that Doug has and just some general goings-on in the ER. Good morning. Actually, good night. Hey, Dr. Ross. Hey. Still got that extra ticket to the Bulls-Spurs game next week? Well, Jerry, I do have two tickets, but they're not extra. The ones your dad gave you? Mm-hmm. I thought you threw those out. Well, I was going to, but they're mid-court, about 10 rows up. Oh. Well, you guys heard about all the excitement here yesterday, right? What excitement? Scotty Pippen came in. Here. He was not. Yeah. Actually, he did. He brought in a kid from his Cabrini Greens tutoring program. <laughs> it had a basketball clinic. Kid took a charge, broke his collarbone. Nice try, Jerry. A lot of details. Almost believable. Uh, it's the truth. Look, I got his autograph. You know what that's worth? It's I-N, not E-N. No, it's E-N. It was him. Who else is on? Kid's mom showed up, so Scotty split pretty quick. So nobody else saw him. I'm heading upstairs. Can we watch? My God. Connie, haven't you had that baby yet? Oh, you won't have me to make fun of after today. I thought you were working up to your due date. I have. And then some. Doc's going to induce if nothing happens by Monday. I'm going up to OB for a non-stress test. I feel like a damn elephant. Elephant's gestation period is two years. Oh, shut your mouth. <laughs> I love her Con- response. Yeah, Connie looks extremely pregnant. And in very the shot. uncomfortable. Yeah. This is, uh, she's, I mean, we, we've already established at this point that she's pregnant for real, but like, this is the last episode that she appears in before she has her baby for real. So I imagine she was probably very uncomfortable at this point. But yeah, those 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 tickets that Doug has uh, would have fe- fetched quite the p- pretty penny in 1996. Oh yeah, just whoo, whoo, those things. Yeah, like were nearly impossible to get to start off with, and we find out later how he was able to, how Doug's dad was able to a- achieve such a thing. Then we go into our um, next audio, uh, our next audio right away. Uh, Carter and Harper are talking about Carter's interview today for. For his future in the yeah. in the surgical yeah. service is next it year. for his his continued surgical residency? That was my understanding. I believe it's for the surgical internship. Okay. Because you're an intern before you're a resident. Okay. So and we'll talk about it, and he'll talk about uh, various various times throughout this episode just how competitive it is. Okay, my interview is not till four o'clock. Ben will be done with the Bill Roth by ten thirty. I'll find him. I won't beg. I'll be dignified. I'm not going to have a fair shot at this internship. I'll tell him unless he rewrites my letter of recommendation. 90 applicants for six slots. How did you even see it anyway? It was on his desk and all has put forth a consistent effort. That's what he says about me. Has acquired solid technical Technical skills. I told you that part. Several times. You know, I know he and I have had our differences, but I've worked my butt off for him. Where the hell is our train? John, how soon after intercourse can you get a pregnancy result by blood test? Seven days. Did I tell you about the other applicants? Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Hopkins. I got the home court advantage, but still, still. Wait a second, did you just say pregnancy? You think you're pregnant? How's that possible? We, we've been really careful. I know. Did, did you miss your period? No, not yet. I'm just obsessing. We don't need this today. I know, this whole interview thing is nerve-wracking enough. I'm sorry, do you want to draw some blood? <laughs> you can wait. I'm just being paranoid. I'm worried about your interview. Oh, Carter. I love how he's in his own little head and then, wait, did you say pregnant? Then back in his own head and then, wait, do you need to draw some blood? Like, just pick one. <laughs> It's weird to hear somebody call him John instead of Carter. Yes. I never get used to that. He's just, he's always Carter to us. He always will be. 
it's even weird like when uh just, i immediately just thought of the conversation that him and uh susan have when they're t- when they're have their little fling in season nine or no was no that was season one i'm thinking yeah of. when she flirts with him and calls him john yeah okay yeah. john <laughs> yeah it's also weird when they're scolding him in season seven and they call him john oh, we'll yeah. oh yeah yeah we'll yeah. get there but yeah carter uh off to a wonderful start to his day Mr. Ball of Anxiety. Sweet baby Carter. And just to note, they're at the Chicago Brown Line stop. Which is normally where we've seen them get on when they're leaving the ER. So they must just like like to shoot at this particular stop. Which, to be fair, it's a beautiful stop. Maybe it's just because it says Chicago. They figure, hey, people will know this is in Chicago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's not going to be anybody picking this apart down to the most monotonous detail. (laughs) I'm really excited for your pedantic take of this episode, oh, Daniel. I, I'm I can't so wait ready. to waste your time with that later on. I'm so ready. <laughs> uh, but for now, we go from there uh, back to the ER where Connie is seen coming out of the elevator and she's wheeling out a pregnant woman and they're like, I forget what Doug says. It's something like, well, that was quick or something like that. And she's like, yes, yeah, shut up, man. We got like, there's a sprinkler system that has busted up on the uh, labor and delivery ward. So they are bringing all of these women actively in labor down to uh, the ER. Uh, there's a total of eight women being brought down and it's just like absolute chaos. And this is going to kind of set up our through line for the whole episode. We're going to come back to this over and over again. Yeah, Doug is doing a hell of a job just managing all the different labors that are going on right now and, you know, triaging them appropriately because, you know, obviously all these women, are they're all in labor, but they're all in various stages. Like, a couple of them are ready to pop right now, but yeah. most of them can wait. But then we go on to Benton is doing surgery on the um, the gentleman who crushed himself with a train, and the other surgeons are talking about the efficacy of killing yourself with the train. And as they're talking, um, the man starts to hemorrhage. And Benton's like, no, I can save him. And um, the gentleman assisting on the surgery goes, this is a teaching exercise now. There's no life to save here. And Benton's like, want to bet? And Benton begins to saw the guy open. So this will be kind of Benton's through line for the episode is dealing with this patient. And I, I appreciate Benton's adherence to the dad rule of anytime you pick up a power tool, you have to do the test before you start. Even if it's a sternal saw and you're operating on a guy who was hit by a train, you still have to like test it twice before you do yeah, it. I say, you got to make sure it works, man. Yep. That's not a dad thing. That's just common sense. <laughs> Bless. And then Green is dealing with one of the women in labor and she's beginning to crown, but her membrane has not ruptured yet. So they are going to have to do an amniotomy to prepare her for labor. And as that's going on, Jerry is still trying to convince people that Scottie Pippen was, in fact, in the ER yesterday. <laughs> Poor Jerry. Yeah, this is just not Mark's favorite day. It's baby day! Wee! Because, you know, he doesn't have any, any you know, trauma in his past related to babies. No, no not at all. It's He's fine. It's fine. not haunted by the sound of crying babies at all not a, not a malpractice suit because of a botched delivery no no is it so i was curious um I, and i i should have looked just to like verify for sure but like is this the first time that we see coburn since love's labor lost no or have we seen her we've so- seen her in between because there was when um there was when they had that like teaching case about it that's where right she drilled him where and he then yeah 
but I think that's the first time that he and her have interacted since that whole thing because there's a palpable like tension in the room when he when she comes in where he's like you could see him tense up where he's like oh shit I would say that's likely yeah so as as mentioned Coburn comes down um, and she just kind of comes in and starts trying to like direct traffic she wants to know how many monitors the ER has available um, because all the ones upstairs were trashed by the sprinklers she wants to know who's attending today and surprise it's Mark Uh, uh, Weaver is kind of doing the directing the traffic with her and so she's answering all these questions and she's like Mark Green you're familiar with him right uh yep like I said that's kind of where the tension sort of comes in because it's within earshot of of Green when they they're having this conversation yeah he just Uh, kind of perks up a little bit and is like what oh yeah you can see like visible discomfort on on Green's face but uh Coburn kind of jumps in to take over helping the woman deliver and then we do a quick cut over to Harper who is taking blood for her serum pregnancy test, which I watched this episode. Uh, I actually watched this episode twice. And the second time I watched it with nurse Jen and she picked out right away what I missed that uh, Harper is using a fake arm when she is drawing her own blood. Uh, she was huh. like, <laughs> she was like, she does a very good job of hiding it. She's like, but that is a fake arm. Huh. So good, good job. Props um, department. I, I want to note something real quick before before we get too far away from this. I also want to note when um when Coburn takes over from Mark on this delivery, he is elbows deep in this woman, mm-hmm. and like she just shoves him out of the way and completely takes over. It's like I'm kind of in the middle of something here, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, but the woman who is uh, currently who is currently giving birth, uh, her name is Mrs. Wilson, and she has a baby boy. Wee! Yay! She asks, uh, Coburn asks Mark to do the sutures, and suddenly, oh no, there's more contractions. And this one is uh, breech birth, which means it's coming out butt first. So they did not know it was twins. Um, and Mark leads her extremely well, uh, much to Coburn's sort of, okay, fine. <laughs> I didn't want to say delight, but... Her chagrin. Yeah. Um, like, okay, I guess you're fine, jeez. Yeah, carries her through the breech birth and doesn't just excellent job making sure that baby comes out all nice and healthy and without any broken bones or anything like that which can happen a lot more when you're coming out butt first didn't you come out butt first uh i started to peek my toe out two uh eight weeks early and then you had the c-section and then they were like no your kid's an idiot uh she's coming out uh, (laughs) c-section because she's too small to probably survive a a normal birth of uh, uh, a normal birth when she's coming out feet first ah okay so and i'm i might have been too um soft to ah. come out head first we i don't know <laughs> where i would have been eight weeks early you were very small i was very small i could fit in my dad's hand yeah uh but mark uh, just gives coburn a cute little or no mark just gives uh ms wilson a cute little wink as uh he tells her she can relax because now there's only two babby Babby's done. Did either one of you notice the looks that Lydia gives to Coburn as she's like sort of shout coaching her, like Mark through that second delivery where like he's like shade. (laughs) Yeah. Like where, where, you know, he's like, no, I've got it. It's fine. And she's like shouting directions at him. They cut over to Lydia, I think at least twice. And both times she kind of shoots these looks in Coburn's direction that, the best way I can describe it is that it was like a mother or a grandmother looks at somebody who's messing with their son or their grandchild. Like it was like very motherly. She was just sort of like, leave him alone. Like let him work. <laughs> like I, I thought it was sweet. It was very like protective on her part. 
Of course. She's she's so here for Mark. But no, I hadn't noticed at the time. It doesn't surprise me, but I hadn't picked it up. And I also just, I was laughing to myself because I'm thinking now, having listened to uh, Darren's interview, since mm-hmm. I wasn't on it, I finally listened to it and I'm just thinking about all these babies and I was thinking of the closet full of prosthetic baby Oof, comment that he made. And I'm like, oh, they end up in a closet. Oh, God. Which, give that a listen, folks. It should be out by the time this episode's out. So it should be out for general public uh, release. It's yeah. good. Super yeah, that's, fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating and absolutely, yeah, just really cool information interview. Yeah, I got to, I had to miss the actual interview, but I got to listen to it after the fact and it was it was a good use of my time. So that just struck me having listened to it after the fact. Um, But then Susan and Mark are doing a little walk and talk and Susan is telling Mark about the home visit and how she's so embarrassed about how messy her apartment was and she's really concerned that she's not going to get it. And Mark is like, I'm sure they have seen much worse than you. You are a working doctor. You are like, you know, an adoptive kid's dream. It'll be fine. And then Susan goes into her kind of one of her big cases for the for the episode is a young girl who is clearly pregnant and clearly in distress uh she must be what like 16 14 no she's yeah she's 13 13? oh my gosh how did i miss that so this is a 13 year old girl who is at her delivery date and she's so uncomfortable and um as susan walks in then two other Adults, a man and a woman, come in and they're like, sorry, Tina, they don't have X-Men. And it turns out that Tina is the surrogate mother for the couple that has come in with her. Her own mother is not there yet. Please. Does this win the award for most upsetting storyline of the episode? Because I think... Uh, No. (laughs) I think the other one does. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. There is a doozy coming. Yeah. I, I I have words about that one, but... And then we have a sort of, I guess, our comic relief. Which the, I enjoy, whatever this one is. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird, but I don't know. Um, but when another woman come in, comes in, uh, one of the other pregnant women comes in, and she's talking about how she got pregnant by aliens. And we will revisit her several times throughout the thing, and she'll maintain that she has had their in- extraterrestrial filth blown up in all of her cavities, I think was one of the <laughs> yeah, lines. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's how that's it's worded. With a very, like... I don't even know how to describe her accent. Like it's sort of like cartoonish New York, New York Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Like it's Boston. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's definitely not Boston. Eastern. It's Eastern. Yeah, it's definitely Northeastern. But yeah. Uh <sighs> she's she's definitely the comic relief for the episode for better or worse. Um she's played by an actress named Carol Ann Susie who um I realize that we probably it doesn't have a ton of personal overlap for me, but I imagine probably a lot of our audience there is some overlap with. Um, she had a long-running role, uh, speaking role, but not seen. She was the voice of the unseen character Mrs. Wolowitz on The Big Bang Theory. Uh, apparently, she voiced that role for like ten years. Uh, so, Jesus. if you're a fan of that show, you may recognize her voice, if not her face. There's uh, no if- way it would have been ten years. That show went for a long time. Yeah, it went time. for a long time. It did time, not I think. start in 2004, though. It started when I was in high school. So it was the better part of 10 years. It was seven or eight years. It, I know it was a long time. I think I think it was 2006 or seven through her death, so yeah. seven or eight years. But yeah, she passed away in 2014, unfortunately. Mm. So, uh, But we go back to the admit desk uh, where we see a another pregnant woman who is uh, 
doing laps walking around the ER to help better dilate, move her labor along. Her and her, who we assume are her husband, uh, get stopped by Lydia and are just like, what are you doing? And they explain and she's like, sure, go do your thing. Like, we finally get an easy one. Okay. Like, do your thing. Right. So then we cut back to uh, the OR where Benton is still operating on the guy from the train and Carter has dropped in. And Benton invites Carter to scrub in, which he uh, has to decline because he is going to be giving a tour to the other prospective students for the internship he's applying for. So he's going to have to miss this one. But while he's there, another surgeon drops off some med students uh, to have Peter explain why he's working on such a hopeless case, to which Peter kind of replies, I saw this guy, I knew I could fix him, so I went to work. And you just sort of ever so slightly off in the background see Carter still by the door, and you see that he's at least overheard this, which will play into a, a scene a little bit later on. So, I didn't even catch that. Yep, yep. Carter, mm. Carter's just kind of hanging out by the door. He, they don't really like make him a focus of the of the scene, but you can tell he's he's hanging out by the door, and he's his head is turned in the direction of Benton. So that's where he picks up that little nugget from. Uh, and then we go back quickly, and Jerry is still telling the Scotty Pippen story, and no one believes him. Poor sweet baby Jerry. Uh, will he be vindicated? We'll find out soon. But then we go over, the gang is at the admit desk, and they start talking about, they start, really, they're trolling Connie throughout yeah. this whole episode about <laughs> this thing. Uh, they talk about, oh yeah, the beet soup over at Doc Magoo's induces labor because it has properties that make the uterus contract, according to Carrie. And, oh, yeah, there's science behind that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it could make sense. That's what, that's how Carrie's, yeah. Like. Yeah. Clearly, they're all in on something, and we'll find out what that's leading to a little later. Such a good goof for the episode. But then, um, here's the other big problematic uh, patient for the episode. So we have the 13-year-old girl, and then we have Jeannie comes up to talk to Susan about a patient who says they cannot give a urine sample, like they don't have to go. And Susan's like, well, what do you need a urine sample for? Is something wrong? And Jeannie's like, or yeah, Jeannie's like, she has a history of drug drug abuse. She's had potential. I don't know. I don't remember. If she says she has the potential for a crack baby, or that she's had two crack babies. But she specifically, yeah, she's had two. She specifically uses the phrase crack babies. Multiple, like multiple times by multiple characters, that phrase gets yeah. used. Yep. So we're on. For another dangerous myth of the drug war, we've got people abusing their child foster benefits for crack, and we've got crack babies. So we're two for two so far. Filling out our bingo card. On propagating myths of the drug war from the 90s. Crack babies. It just feels dirty to say. Yeah. I was like, do we actually, like, should we be even be, like, saying that? Like... I don't know. I'm I'm going to say it because I want to bring awareness to the fact that it's a very problematic view and incredibly outdated. Okay. I know we've got some medical listeners who may have varied opinions on this, and I'm curious to get your comments on it, but... But anyway, uh, we go over there. Mark is delivering his third child of the day. Uh, we have a woman uh, screaming about her husband needing a vasectomy as he videotapes <laughs> the birth, which, you know, I'm, I can only imagine that's a pretty common phrase when when a woman's one has their husband present for the birth um and connie is to like this woman's just screaming her head off and the one and connie just eventually just yells at her will you shut up because she's <laughs> and then uh mark says oh yeah the birth sl- the 
the baby's like a uh, baby's huge so he must be at least 10 pounds and then Connie's like oh, I take that back you scream all you want <laughs> <laughs> uh, you burned it yeah uh, but the baby does come out unfortunately lethargic uh, it's looking kind of blue not really breathing fully um, and it's possible that the woman may have developed gestational diabetes during the pregnancy <sighs> yikes um, and th- this was my big oh hey it's that person of this episode the mom here is played by an actress named Myra Turley who is much younger but is very obviously Peggy's mom from Mad Men oh I knew she looked familiar mm-hmm. yep. time for my Mad Men spinoff right maybe with enough Patreon dollars we can make <laughs> that happen but then we go back to the patient with the history of drug abuse and Susan comes in to try and persuade her to give urine explaining why they need it you know to confirm that she's clean but we'll come back to that one a little bit later um the big 10 pound baby is now crying and yelling and the mom is kissing and hugging the doctors as they videotape and she's just like oh this is the doctor who saved my baby and this is the doctor who helped and then the husband is hugging and kissing the doctors while they videotape and then Mark poses with Doug as a goof and gives him a big smooch. Which I choose to believe was improvised. Like, I have to... The way everyone reacts to it, I choose to believe that was just Anthony Edwards taking liberties and thought it would be funny. It was, it was so cute. I also like, too, in the the scene, too, that there's a couple of instances, I think less so here, but uh, more so when we first meet this couple. Um, there's a couple of instances where we get to see the point of view of the video camera. And they do like some handheld camera shots, um, mm-hmm. which are sort of they're they're a little bit nauseating, and I'm glad they don't like go overboard with it. But you can see sort of them playing with the idea of doing some POV shots that would later come in handy with stuff like the uh, live episode that we're gonna get at the beginning of season four. Um, so it's just interesting Isn't to see them playing soon? with it. Yeah, it'll be the it's the season premiere of season four. So we've got we've got the rest of this season plus next season, and then it'll be the very beginning of four. Was when we get the live episode. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's coming up that quick. I'm so excited. It is. I say that when we're not even through season two yet. <laughs> but it'll be here before you know it. So uh, we cut over from there to Carter is gone to meet with the surgical students competing for his spot, and it, it's like with each successive one he meets they're more and more impressive and they've you know some are from harvard and stanford and they've one's been in a clinic in senegal for the last 10 months and one's been published in a medical journal and like you could just see the like existential dread on carter's face as he's like oh god i don't stand a chance against these people and he's like great let's start the tour it's just more good like understated comedic work from carter that i really enjoy But we go from there uh, over back to Tina, uh, who is having some very severe back pain. Um, The adopting mom is trying to help soothe her. They have her roll on her side and massage her back. And as as all of that is going on, um, Susan is kind of off to the side with the adoptive father, who's like, he's like, I really hope she's not relying on us too much because we're adopting her baby, not her. Like... Which is just like such a heartbreaking thing when you remember that this is a 13-year-old lying there going through labor. And it's just like, oh, God. Like, this whole storyline is so upsetting. Then after that, we have another slightly unfortunate, well, kind of unfortunate patient. Uh, we have some audio for you of it. Uh, Mark takes in a doctor from the paramedics who is in labor. So let's listen in. 
Give me the bullet. Allow me. I'm Dr. Anna Castiglione, internal medicine. In my 34th week, I have a scheduled induction for Monday. My membrane ruptured 40 minutes ago. I'm fully dilated. I'll take the express elevator to labor and delivery. I'm sorry, Dr. Castigliano, but L&D has maintenance problems, so we're taking all admits in here today. Donna, you have your hands full? Yeah, but I think we can handle one more. All right, on my count, one, two, three. Grab a 20-gauge engine can. Sorry, I think you left this behind. Stage three carcinoma of the breast. I had a mastectomy six years ago. Cancer flared up again last spring. I was started on a CMF chemo regimen and slated for radiation when I found out I was pregnant. Are any implications for the fetus? The ultrasounds look fine, but methotrexate is contraindicated in the first trimester. So I won't rest easy till I see this baby. Well, it shouldn't be long. The angels were watching over her. If I'd had the radiation, she would have gotten a toxic dose. You suspended your own treatment. For the first trimester, I've been on a modified regimen since then. It wasn't a hard choice. I've got a matter of months left. My baby has her whole life ahead. You're right, doctor. You are fully dilated. All right, let's call Coburn. Tell her we got one on the way up. Dr. Coburn? Oh, no. Please. I've worked too hard for this delivery to have Janet Coburn anywhere near it. Your old friends, huh? Oh. Still, all the uh, high risk have to go up. I'm not considered high risk. <laughs> Dr. Lopez was going to induce me in the birthing center. Is Ferdy there? I hope you're calling your husband, because this baby is on her way. My husband's already driving in. Fernando! <laughs> You'll never guess where I am. Come, let me hand you over to Dr. Mark Green. It's my OB. Now break it to him gently. He's gonna be jealous. I want to note there are still films on the board. Whose films are they? We do not know. <laughs> we and we never will. Yeah, we never will. This I is gonna be like an that, every episode thing. You're not gonna get an explanation if, for that. If we ever get another props person on, can we please ask them about the film's conspiracy? Yes. Yeah. I, I need to make know. Make sure to add that in. Oh, this is a this is a rough one. But I always I always find it interesting when uh, they make doctors the patients. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was interesting too. I, I I think it's a little bit further down or in another scene, but I like when she's barking out orders and Green is like, "I'll do the orders, thank you. You just be the patient." And then he's like, "Do what she said." <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cute one. But the doctor here, Doctor Anna Castiglione, is played by an actress named Lindsay Kraus, who had appearances in films such as The Arrival, Slapshot, and The Insider. Nice. Yeah, she's a great actress, and she has some really powerful scenes later this episode that just, mm, my heart. Yeah. And then we have Benton is still working on the train patient, and we find out that the patient's mom is watching the surgery from the observation um, window, and that she works in the recovery department, and the guy who tells Peter this also says, you know, she says, God bless and thank you. So Benton now is really like, shit, I got to do this because mom's watching. Pressure's on. Like, I can't have this. I can't have this guy die in front of his mom. <laughs> yeah. And I have to point out from the pedantic department, I have to point out as that doctor who passes along the message that mom is watching outside. As he comes in, he passes the crowd and is like, wow, it's a standing room only crowd. And he's backing into the room because he's trying to maintain his sterile 
ness sterility i don't know which i don't know how you would rephrase that i think it's sterility uh but as he's backing into the room and he's still talking he bumps the other door with his hand on the way in so he is not sterile you need to go wash your hands again sir was that your big take for the episode no i wish it were but i'm gonna waste so oh, much so more excited. of your time i'm so excited daniel i can't wait <laughs> uh but for now we go back over to genie on the do we ever get the the we the we, name of the mom that has pro- the crack baby. We probably did, but these names and these patient situations were going by so fast that I was really shitty with getting names for everybody. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we so... ever actually get a, a formal name for her. Like, it it's really sucks because it's the the shittiest storyline in the whole episode, and they don't even bother giving her a name. It's just really. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if we did. I didn't get it. Yeah, it just feels really, really. Yeah, don't call her what I put in the notes, please. Yeah. So the uh, genie is a genie is apologizing to the the drug baby mom. Um, her tox screen was negative, so the woman. Uh, but then a woman comes in, t- who is her? They say two different things. One says birthing coach, the other one says sister. And the woman who comes in says, "I brought you some candy." Oh dear. Mm. That's not fucking suspect. Yeah, charmingly enough, uh, the mother is credited on IMDb as crack mom. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Awesome. So, so my notes were pretty close. Yeah, so she does not get a formal name call out in this episode. So That's unfortunate. It is. 90s drug war. Gotta love it. Um, so then we have Tina, the 13-year-old, is in delivery, and they start to wheel her into one of the trauma rooms that's already taken by Mark and his... Doctor... Doctor patient. Yes, his doctor patient. So they're like, this is taken! And they're like, oh, oops, we'll go on to the next one. It was just a very sweet little com- comedic moment of sometimes, you know, they fuck up what rooms they're going to within the story, and it's just cute. And then um, we find out Carrie and Harper are talking about the alien patient, and Carrie says, oh, you know, her pregnancy text came back negative, and Harper's like, yes, because she had snuck her pregnancy test under that woman's file so she wouldn't have one on record. So then Carrie's like, you know, it's really it's really interesting because, you know, good catch. I wouldn't have thought to do it, but a pelvic exam confirms she's not actually pregnant. It's cytosiasis. It's a distension of the abdomen due to hyperventilation from contractions. So it's essentially psychosomatic. She's not actually pregnant. And then uh, the woman, he, like, hears this because Carrie mentions it in the room. And she goes, those creatures blew their interstellar filth all, into all my cavities and it's hibernating there. Jesus Christ. And Carrie's like, well, you're not pregnant. <laughs> like, you're not going to have a baby. Nothing going on. So, I have some bad gas for a little while. but <laughs> Yeah, so Harper is not pregnant. The alien woman is not pregnant. And we can move on with our story. Uh, but then we, uh, oh. Uh, guess who shows up next? Uh, is it is it a Bulls player? It is. Is it Michael Jordan? No. Dennis is Rodman. Is it Scottie Pippen? It's Scottie Pippen. It's Scottie Pippen. Yeah. The second, uh, the the most popular second banana. Because uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan was the leader and Scottie Pippen was easily the number two of that team. The yes. number two guy on that team. But so. I don't get the second banana reference. His sidekick? Yeah, he was the sidekick. He was the... But I've never heard the term second banana. What? Yeah, Never. I've heard second fiddle. I've never heard second banana. What the fuck is second banana? I have no idea the origins of it. I don't know. I don't. I don't like how passionately you are uh, upset about second banana. Yet you weren't not this passionate about banana fish. I I find that to be very fishy. No pun intended. 
I'm fucking Googling this. Yeah, well, you guys had to be But here. anyway, Jerry's smelling cigars, and Scotty Pippen shows up to thank him for yesterday, and Jerry runs to tell all of everyone, like, Jesus Christ, fucking Scotty Pippen's here. Oh my God, oh my God, one of the most popular people in the world is here. And no, everyone just sort of brushes him off because they're all super busy, like Mark and Susan are elbows deep uh, with, an, with, uh, their, with a pregnancy. Uh, Wendy and Jerry runs back to the desk and Mr. Pippin is gone and Wendy's and he's like where the fuck did he go? Wendy uh, says kind of a tall guy. Uh, he told everyone to say thanks and and Mr. Pippin is gone. What's your what's your Google foo? Re- re- that it's a real expression that I've just never heard before <laughs> at 28. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> your entire worldview is crushed. It's really, I'm struggling with this right now. You guys might have to do the rest of the episode without me. Well, Daniel, tell us uh, what happens uh, next then. So that from there we go over to um, Tina is in labor. Susan's kind of coaching her through it and is doing such a good job with it. Like Tina is as as scared as any 13-year-old in active labor probably should be. And Susan is just like, no, you're you're doing so good. You're really brave. Like I've seen people twice your age not be able to handle this like and she just does a really good job of like soothing her through it it's very very sweet um but we we leave from there to go and check back in with unnamed woman with prior drug problem is what i'm going to (laughs) term her uh the woman who had the talk screen she gets up to go to the bathroom seems very sluggish and out of sorts but won't let genie offers to help you know walk her to the bathroom she won't let Jeannie help she goes around the corner to the women's room and Jeannie just sort of kind of tails her and she doesn't end up going into the bathroom she sits down on the bench outside of it and she sees Jeannie watching her and she just holds her hand out and is like take this from me and it's a crack pipe with some presumably crack with it it's a um, rock yeah, some rock. Uh, turns out that she was using during her pregnancy, but she's been clean for the last two months. And Jeannie has to go let the doctors know so that they can, you know, get the baby tested and stuff once it's once it's born. Uh, and upsetting storyline is upsetting. Details and it will continue 11. to be upsetting. Yeah, fucking second banana. That can't be, fuck. Goddamn. <laughs> okay, Lizzie. Ugh. Anyway, I have another patient, a uh, utility guy who was electrocuted upstairs while working on the sprinklers up there, and the guy that runs down looks super familiar, but Lauren and I couldn't place him, and we really couldn't find information about him, so I don't know. Would that be the yeah. um, the the not-shocked the not yeah. handyman? Yeah. Let me check. Yeah, the one that, the one that oh, took a little shock yeah. and has to sit yeah. down in the trauma room. The black gentleman. Let me check real quick. If I, can, we if I can even I find didn't. him in the cast list, like, is he even... I'm... And his voice sounded really familiar, too. Like, it was a very, very specific... Uh, maintenance man. Here we go. Lauren, why don't you tell us what happens next while hold on, uh, Daniel's... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, no, he's got it. Got I'm too it. busy fucking thinking about Second Banana. <laughs> All right, so, yep, maintenance man is played by uh, an actor named Lawrence A. Mandley. Um, and he's pretty prolific, so you may have seen him in something. Um, he appeared in an episode of Shameless, which I know you are both kind of fans of, um, or at least Lizzie is. Um, That's all Lizzie. He also appeared in, it looks like, some episodes of Seinfeld. Looks like he had sort of a semi-recurring <gasps> yes! thing on yes! Seinfeld. He, uh, was one, he was like the landlord or something. Yep, it's a manager is what he was credited as. Manny, right? Uh, I don't think he actually gets a name. I think it's okay. just uh, Larry. Yes. Larry was his. It was Larry and yeah. Manny. He's the, the owner. The owner of Monks. It says, whatever that is. Oh, fuck it, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not. Still. I'm not up on my my Seinfeld 
wiki knowledge, but Monks is the cafe they go to, I think. But yeah, apparently, apparently, he also appeared in the pilot episode of ER, which huh. I do not remember him from that. But apparently, he was he played an, uh, a character named Jackson. I have no memory of anybody named Jackson or who that would have been, but we can go back and watch the pilot and see who Jackson is, and it's the same guy from this episode. All right. Thank you for helping my my curiosity on that one, Daniel. That's what I'm here um, for. I appreciate it. But then the why can't I never the doctor patient? I cannot remember her name for the life of me. I was bad on names this this episode. I'm sorry. She is sobbing because her little baby girl came out perfect and healthy. And this is just a heart wrenching moment where she gets to hold her little girl and just tells her that she loves her and that she's going to have a great life ahead of her and you know she did what she did for her and just very mm, my heart my heart cannot handle this it is so sweet and Mark just you know lets her have that moment he doesn't really push the matter he just kind of lets her sit there and be with her child and then um Coburn comes down and is talking to Mark and says you know, nine healthy newborns and eight mothers to transport. Nice ratio. And Mark says, the moms did all the work. Now, there's one thing I have a problem here, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm just thinking about this right now. We had eight pregnant moms at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. We have eight moms at the end of the episode right now. Mm-hmm. But alien lady wasn't pregnant. Didn't uh... deliver children. So, really, there should only be eight babies and seven moms. Look at you. Whoa. I'm just thinking about this right now. I was going to say, the number of babies could be correct because they had the one come in via paramedics. That's true. Yep. Castiglione oh, came right. in after the sprinklers. Yep. You're right. Okay. So, that, that does even it back out again. Yeah. Yep. Good catch. See, I was sitting here thinking teamwork, I was so gang. smart. Damn it. I thought I had a good pedantic take. Back. Um, but, yeah. So, Mark's like, oh, the mom, the mom did all the work. It was very sweet. And it looks like Mark's um, kind of redeemed himself in I'm not reading ahead to see what Daniel's notes are because I want to be surprised <laughs> but um Lizzie just read ahead and giggled a little and now I'm like trying not to look at the screen but so Mark has redeemed himself in Coburn's eyes it looks like yeah it's a nice moment yeah. for Mark he gets to have a little like yeah see I can't do this then after that uh we just have a really sweet moment we don't we don't capture enough sweet moments on this sh- on this show I feel like it's always like really serious really shocking really dramatic moments but this is just a genuinely sweet moment um the father of the twins from earlier shows up he was delayed due to uh cta problems he's a cta uh train do we do we get train or bus operator? i think he said bus okay because he, he made it sound like there was some some inclement weather that kept him from getting yeah okay uh but he shows up and is just overjoyed when he sees his children so let's listen then Dr. Ross, uh, this is Mr. Wilson. His wife had the twins. Oh, hey, hi. Dispatch called. I was on the Berkeley run. It was snowed in out there. It took him three hours to get a relief driver, almost three more to get me back in. Okay. You want to see your kids? I sure would. Come on. <laughs> Here you go. Boys, I'd like you to meet your father. guys that's not how it's gonna be i'm gonna always be here for you whenever you need me and sometimes when you think you don't 
I'm your dad. And that's my job. To be there. You'll be great father. They say it's all about the kind of start you get. Just too cute. Yeah, we don't... There's not enough positive portrayal... There's never going to be enough positive portrayals of uh, genuine, loving, you know, black fathers trying in media. So, just wanted to highlight this. Especially after what's about to happen next, so... Yeah, another, another hard pivot that we've become so famous for. Yep. So, we go to the mother with drug issues delivery... And she has a healthy baby girl, it appears, normal weight, normal size. Um, you know, Doug helps with the delivery and mentions, you know, we can't be sure what developmental defects or other issues she might have. So we have to take her up to the NICU and, you know, check her out there. And the mom is crying and sobbing and being like, you know, what, a, like, what about my baby? When, when will I get her back? Will I get her back? What's going to happen? And Doug's like, you'll probably get her back. He says with the most begrudging white knight fucking... Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, you'll probably get her back, you fucking drain on society. Like, he's just such an asshole when it comes to this shit. Yeah, Doug's kind of a racist. A little bit. Like, a little yeah. bit. Because it's really, more than anything, it's it's these black patients that he really doubts. Yeah. Like, with the dad with the cocaine, mm-hmm. this... The ones that really stand out to me, Doug's kind of a bit of a racist. And he's been called on it before. Like, I forget who it was, whether it was Halle or Connie, but one of I them. I think it was Connie. One of one of the two nurses called him on it at one point, and he got very offended. Yeah, it was it was that episode with, with the with the with the um the dad with the daughter with the cocaine overdose. Yeah. Where she was like, If this was Becky from the suburbs, you wouldn't be doing this. So yeah, it's Doug. Doug's a bit of a racist. Yeah, he's not quite a Shep racist, but he's definitely got some of those biases ingrained. Oy, oy, oy. Um, but after that, uh, we have another. We have some more audio for you. Uh, get to let's listen into Carter's interview for the intern position. And please note, he's doing this uh, the entire time. He's actually he's like trying to like sew a needle or like trying to sew a tie a knot together and it's like he has a paper clip that's dangling into a coffee uh, to a jewel a regional grocery store chain jewel coffee can with a magnet in the bottom so even though my family was predisposed to law i was a black sheep and decided to go into medicine shoot can i try again the point mr carter is to tie the knot without pulling the clip away from the magnet i know mr carter can you run through the steps of an adrenalectomy uh, sure. Identify the mass by, uh, CT. Make a coker incision. <laughs> I almost had it. What if that had been a patient? And your inept technique caused uncontrolled arterial hemorrhage? I, um, I, I would repair the damage and proceed. Good answer, Mr. Carter. It may not be possible to tie that knot without dropping the magnet. But you didn't lose your cool, and that matters. That, and your academic records, your board scores, and your letters of rec. Quite frankly, my... uh... Carl Vucilich sent his standard glowing report. Still didn't fix the typo in the second paragraph. But it's Dr. Benton's letter that gives us the most 
pause. I am at a loss uh, to explain. You're one of the first students to survive, Dr. Benton. But to have him use words like solid in connection with surgical technique. High praise from Benton. Not to mention full knowledge of anatomy and diagnostic tools. That's tantamount to gushing. Are you sure he wrote this? He did. Well, you're a most impressive candidate, but we have many impressive candidates. One last thing. Tell us why you want to be a surgeon. It's not a trick question. <laughs> hmm, no. Um, hmm. I, uh, I see people with injury or disease, and I know that I can fix them. So that's what I want to do. I love that little giggle that he does at the very end where he's like, hmm, <laughs> hmm. Uh, I just want to do this because I, because I want to prove to myself I can do it. <laughs> but I have to bullshit something. Every person in every job interview ever. Yeah. Why, would, why do you want to be a surgeon? I like money. <laughs> I have bills to pay. Guts are cool. That's I love that little sequence. It's so good. And I like how they're like, no, maybe you can't actually do it. So, you know. But you didn't freak out. So. That's the important part. Don't freak out during surgeries. So then we cut out of there back to the ER uh, and the mother. Well, I guess I guess she's a mother now. She was the pregnant lady earlier who's in the curtain one that's kind of closest to the admit desk. Connie hears her saying that she had the beet soup at Doc Magoo's last night. And that's what kind of started her labor, which is, again, they've, they're now roping patients into this fucking ruse to to get Connie over to Doc Magoo's, which is, it's kind of sweet. But while they're standing there, the, you know, air quotes husband who had been coaching the woman through her laps around the ER earlier, his actual husband shows up and the wife of the new mother shows up. So we've got a pair of gay couples here and they're going to make the, the, the two husbands, I don't know how to term all that. Like, you know, the, the two guys, they're going to make them the, um, the godfathers. And Susan is standing over by the admin desk with Lydia and Chuni, and she's just like, see, it's too good to be true. Which I took kind of a little bit of, like, mm, rude. Like, just because he's not a, like, sniveling Neanderthal, that must mean he's gay, right? Like, there's hashtag not all men, you know what I'm saying? I will allow this one, Daniel. It's fine, I'll allow it. I will allow this. This is the one time hashtag not all men is going to be acceptable on this podcast. <laughs> As told to you by a white woman. Exactly. Um, a white queer woman at that, but it's fine. Who boy. Um, <sighs> sorry, okay, go ahead. That's okay. Um, but uh, we, have our, we have another audio clip for you. Benton has survived his long surgery, and so did the patient. And Carter comes to talk to him and bring him some dinner. Recheck his crit in 30 minutes. Don't forget, 15 mics per kilogram per minute. Page me stat if your systolic BP drops under 100, huh? Carter, what are you doing here? What's your dinner? Tofu, brown rice, veggies on the side. Thanks. I know it's been hard lately. I just want to thank you for setting the bar high, for everything, for being a good example. 
The interview went okay, huh? It's hard to say. I think so. It's like I can live. Yeah, I think so. Gang, this is our first really good Carter and Benton bro moment. I am so excited yes. about it. Where they're actually starting to act like maybe not quite peers, but a little bit more respect for each other. Yeah, he doesn't treat Carter's existence with utter disdain. Yeah, because we didn't really have a moment like this after uh, Benton gave him the glowing recommendation for the sub-eye, right? Nope, not really. This is this is the first time I think they've ever, like like Lauren said, almost, almost sort of seemed like equals. And I think it was... I mean, I, I don't know that they did this intentionally, but I do feel like them, like, sitting down on the floor next to each other, th- there was something to that symbolically. Like, they were on a similar level. I love the two of them together. Having just watched uh, the end of season six and some of season seven, just seeing where their friendship and colleague-ship, that's not the right <laughs> word. Um, There's just the general, like, camaraderie that they develop. Yes. And- the sibling-like relationship that they develop. I wouldn't necessarily say sibling, but they look out for each other. Yeah. Oh, I would would definitely categorize later on, not here, but later on, I would definitely categorize their relationship as brotherly. Like, they they develop a brotherly relationship much later on down the line. But, yeah, here it's, it's just nice to see them playing on some kind of even playing field for a change. It's, it's just yeah nice to see. Yeah, by the end of season six, beginning of season seven, Benton definitely has Carter's back in a much more meaningful way. But here it's good to see that they're starting to be like, okay, you're not a total waste of space. Yeah. Like, it's good. But then um, we go over to Tina, the 13-year-old, who has who has successfully had her baby, and she's in there just snuggling with it. And I, she's breastfeeding it, right? Uh, right maybe. When they... I did not actually make note of that. But yeah, so that she's she's just like, oh, she's so cute, you know, she's great, and she's starting to have reservations about giving the baby away, and she's saying all this in front of the adoptive parents, and she's like, oh, you know, I'd pay you guys back someday for all the prenatal stuff, and they're like, we don't care about the money, we want the baby. What the fuck's wrong with you, child? And then her mom runs in, she hasn't been there all day, runs in and is like, oh, my little baby had her baby, and just... You know, oh, she's so cute, you're so cute, like, you did such a good job, blah, 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 and just, like, starts making baby noises at the baby, and Tina's like, I know, I think I'm gonna keep her, and the mom's like, I totally get it, you're so cute, and, you know, she must be good luck, just like you were, and, you know, totally just really annoying, I mentioned, really annoying baby noises with this baby, and the, the adoptive parents are still sitting in the room with abject horror on their faces as this scene goes out. Like, this is where this ends. Yeah. They don't resolve it. We assume that Tina takes the baby and screws these parents over. Bye. It's just, it's bad. It's bad all around, gang. Okay. So, uh, next up, uh, we have Apologies for the listening party uh, part of this episode, but this is our final audio clip of the episode. Doug is showing up to what he thinks he's going to do is confront his dad, but it turns into something very different. Excuse me, is there another um, another Hotel Dupree around this area? No, it's the only one. Problem? No, no, it's, just, it's not quite the dive I expected. I'm, uh, I'm here to see a guest, Ray Ross. Oh, no, Mr. Ross is in the bar. Why am I not surprised? But he isn't a guest. Mr. Ross owns this hotel. (laughs) 
Marcus. Yeah. You found me. You left your number. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Come on, have a drink. Listen, Ray, I just wanted to, wanted to give you these. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna play along, right? you know, like Mom and I always did, kind of take your your gifts that drop out of the blue. And I decided, uh, no, you know, I can let you get away with it. Not this time. So, uh, you're not my father. A father is someone who was there, and you never were. I don't know, I'm sorry. You and your mother deserve better. Well, she did. No, you did too. Hey, Jimmy. Yeah. I have a bottle of makers here. Right away. Hey, you look, I'm, I'm beat. I delivered eight babies today. So. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I understand. Mm. <laughs> Boy, the night you were born. Ooh. <laughs> I swore I was a changed man. <laughs> Your mother must have told you how you came into this world. Huh? Oh, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> she must have told you about the skates. Huh? She's taking on the skates. We were up at the cabin and the lake was... The cabin, the one that the, the bank took back? Yeah, well, that was, uh, that was a mix-up. Anyway, <laughs> you weren't due for another two weeks. And there your mother was. She went into labor. Right. And the lake was frozen over. And the, uh, the doctor was uh, afraid to drive across the ice. You know? So there's your mother, huh? <laughs> Strapping on skates between contractions. I, I, I swear I thought I was going to have to deliver you myself. Huh. Daniel, enlighten us. Yeah, Daniel, why is that? What's your pedantic? I'm, I'm dying to know. <laughs> All right, but, but before I do, because I, I will admit, it's a very, very stupid, very pedantic thing, so I do want you to get any legitimate thoughts you might have about this interaction out of the way because you're not going to want to talk about this scene ever again after I get done with it. So uh, is the, do you have any thoughts just on this, just generally? I had um, kind of, let's make it about me again. Uh, <laughs> I kind of had a flashback to my own, not childhood, but adolescence, reckoning kind of with when I had a more troubled relationship with my father. And it's like, you know, he'd remember something so fondly and I'd be like, oh yeah, you mean when you lost your house? Or stuff like that, where it's just like that that bile hmm. of just like, no, every, like, I'm just going to taint everything because you're remembering it the way you want to, I'm remembering it the way it actually impacted me. Right. So, goddamn, I mean, go Doug for sticking to your guns. Lizzie, did you have anything before I completely ruin this scene forever? No, I'm just I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> yeah. So right. I, I any any thoughts I had about the scene are overridden by my curiosity. I have right waited, now, so please, especially with the with the capital letters. <laughs> I have waited until forty minutes into the the airtime of the episode. Forget about how far we are into this episode before I bring it to a fucking screeching halt here. Uh, so if you will remember back at the very beginning of the episode, like first five minutes when Doug comes in uh, he's talking to Jerry and Jerry says hey uh, you still have an extra ticket for the Bulls Spurs game this weekend or whatever whenever he says it is and we go out from there so at 4110 is your timestamp. if you look uh, Doug puts the tickets down on the bar to give them back to his dad uh, and you get a nice close-up of the tickets and so I did the responsible thing and I paused it and <laughs> Got as close as I possibly could to it. The tickets uh, clearly say Bulls versus Phoenix Suns, so that's the first problem. Uh, Second problem here is that the tickets say Sunday in January, and this episode takes place, we've established, 
on or about Valentine's Day. So these tickets are no longer good anyway. Another third level of pedantry that I went to for this, um, I went back and checked, and the Bulls were either on the road or off every Sunday in January of 1996. So these tickets are 100% grade A bullshit, and I'm done. Oh, wow. You did your homework. I really did. I went all out for this one. Shout out to basketballreference.com for giving me those 1996 Bulls scores that I was ever so thirsty for. Oh, you know, my only response to that is, Daniel, it's a goddamn TV show. <laughs> look, I can't judge because look at the shit I scream. If about, they're going to so give me a true. close up on the tickets, like I had to check like and it was the first thing that caught my attention. Like I said, they got the opponent wrong that Jerry called out at the beginning of the episode. That's the first problem. I was a little mad that I couldn't get the exact date because there's a paper clip on the tickets that obscures the. <laughs> like month date but you can clearly see it says january 1996 so the tickets are already useless anyway so it's you know come on guys it's devil's in the details here so okay so you can be so now what what category okay so lauren has her films (laughs) i have my chicago geography apparently mine is very niche it's very it's sports ticket printing pedantry which i can't imagine is going to come up in very many episodes but damn it i did the work for this one okay you you had um you had belt gate i did have belt gate but you know green seems to have learned from that so he's he, no longer a beltless motherfucker. yeah he he learned so we'll see maybe you know doug's dad will learn i think he's only got one appearance left so we'll we'll probably find out in short order whether or not he's learned his lesson of trying to pass off counterfeit bulls tickets on his Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's a deeper layer of storytelling where it was like he gives back these obviously counterfeit Bulls tickets. See, that's really what it is. It's not that I'm being pedantic. It's that I've I've uncovered 4D chess level storytelling by the ER writers. Jesus Christ, Daniel. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He gave him shitty tickets so he would come exactly, back. Exactly, yes. Okay, so from there, um, <laughs> we get Connie is signing out and at the admin desk is Wendy and... She's like, where is everybody? And Wendy's like, oh, you know, you're the last one to clock out for the day kind of thing. And uh, Connie signs out and she goes, oh, you know, it's my last day for a while. And Wendy's just like, all right, good luck. And then she goes over to Doc Magoo's and she she sits down and she goes, you know, do you have any of that beet soup? And then the the um, Doc Magoo himself, I'm not, I don't know if that's his actual name, but the, the guy the guy behind the counter goes, did you say the beet soup? And he says it really loud and purposefully. And all of a sudden, everybody pops out with gifts for a baby shower. And it's just very sweet, cute moment. Um, and then it's, we note that it's, as Daniel mentioned before, it is the last episode before the actress who plays Connie has her baby for real. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if she disappears for a while. Just very cute. I like when they do little, like, department bonding things like this yeah yeah it's very sweet and then we close out the episode back at the hotel doug and ray are playing foosball against one another best two out of three for the tickets to the counterfeit bulls game one for each of them and that's how we close out the episode so this one was super chaotic but i loved it yeah Yeah, i liked it a lot it was very it was very refreshing I think we are firmly cresting like that second wave of the season like we the, the season has gotten its second wind and we're going to close it out strong i think over these next few weeks 
All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. And once our stretch goals are met, you'll also get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music today is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, uh, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me retweeting pictures of kittens and shamelessly self-promoting our Team Jerry merch at lowbob92345 on Twitter. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-M-3-R. Um, I am also on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a play- Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, new episodes of that come out every Friday. If you simply search the Popular Court on YouTube, the channel should pop right up for you. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.